0: Now to get the full story of the life of Joseph, it's really important to hear what you may have missed if you were not here during those first two weeks where Pastor Dan talked about the life of Joseph. In each of those weeks, there was important things to know, important things to grasp, and important things to apply. So I want to encourage you if you were not here, you take what you hear today, go back, put it all together with the other two. It only takes you about 30 minutes of service and, and connect with God and, and what he has to say to you in that way as well. It's important to get a full picture of the life of Joseph because his life was a turbulent one. I mean, in fact, when you look at the life of Joseph, you may think, well, did God really care about him? I mean, his mom died when he was young. And as a teenager, we all know that his brothers sold him into slavery instead of killing him. That was the lesser of the two evils, I guess. And that's not half of it. If 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 there ever was a dysfunctional family, His was one of it. Just think of this. Joseph had three stepmothers, one brother, ten half-brothers or stepbrothers, a half-sister, all living in the same home at the same time. I hope that was a big home (laughs) because that could be a real tenuous situation. Now, his father, Jacob, was a polygamist. He was a passive father. It was well known that he showed favoritism to certain children of his. You remember Joseph and the Code of Many Colors. That was a big, a big way he showed favoritism. And if you are a parent here you know today that you know showing favoritism to one child over another doesn't work. Shouldn't be done. Don't do it. It's not going to go well. And it didn't in his life. And uh, then, you know, Joseph had, his father had three wives. I'm sure they were jealous of each other, wouldn't you? I mean, they're all vying for his uh, attention. They're insecure. They're wondering, I need Jacob's love. I need his attention. And I just thought about this family and I go, whoa, what a mess. What a mess that is. Joseph lived in a home with four unhappy women and 10 jealous brothers. I mean, what is that? You know, and as I mentioned a moment ago, when he was 17 years old, he was sold into slavery to Egypt by his brothers. But as a slave, Joseph blessed, was blessed by God and promoted to be over his owner's business, the one he was a slave to. But then he was thrown into prison because he was falsely accused for for raping his master's wife. Can you even imagine that? I mean, Joseph at this point he possibly looked up to God and says, God, do you care about me? Why do you let these things keep happening to me? Well, that way he wasn't through yet because he spent 13 years as a prisoner in Pharaoh's dungeon and he really had no hope and no visible hope of ever being freed. I'm sure he thought God at times during those 13 years had forgotten about him. But then Pharaoh had a dream and then needed that dream to be interpreted and no one knew how to interpret Pharaoh's dream, no one seemed to know what it meant. But God had given Joseph the ability to interpret dreams and Pharaoh found out about it and brought Joseph out of prison into his presence to interpret this dream. I think it's really interesting that Joseph was saying that it was God who was going to give him the answer. We'll talk about that more in a moment, that was going to give him the interpretation. And he told Pharaoh that this dream meant that there was going to be seven years of abundance. Well, that sounded pretty good. Then seven years of famine. Well, that didn't sound very good at all. And because he had the ability to uh, uh, interpret these dreams, I think Pharaoh decided, well, I'm going to set Joseph free. He's such a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. I'm going to promote him to be ruler over all of Egypt. That's where we left off last time when Pastor Dan finished. And this is where we pick up the story today. We're going to look at chapter 45, but I want to bring us up to chapter 45 Because Joseph, right after this, he's ruled Egypt for nine years. The seven years of abundance have come and gone. They're in the second year of their famine. And his brothers come to get food for a second time. They came a first time, and now they're coming a second time. They ran out of food the first time. They needed more food. So they said, we got to go get it. And from the beginning, they did not recognize who Joseph was, but Joseph recognized them. And as I was looking at this story, I couldn't help but wonder, I go, why hadn't Joseph revealed who he was to his brothers? Even at, in our passage today, there's this third time actually they come face to face and he doesn't tell them who he is quite yet. I mean, is he toying with them? Is there some kind of charade going on of accusing them of being spies when they came the first time? And why set a trap with a silver cup for the next favored son, Benjamin, a second time they come? And why does he chase them down and make them come back to him a third time? I, I, I don't know why. And I also wondered if Joseph had even forgiven his brothers. As I thought about this and I was reading, I saw glimpses of how Joseph behaved. I mean, he didn't seem to be a man filled with bitterness or anger. He wasn't holding on to that anger for all that had happened to him. More than likely, over these 22 years from where he was sold into slavery to where we are today, maybe he's forgiven him for selling them into him into slavery, I don't know when the forgiveness maybe came in his heart. Maybe he's still on that caravan of slaves that was heading back to Egypt. Maybe, ah, I got to do this now. Or maybe while he's sitting in prison, there's a lot of free time in prison to think and to reflect. And maybe he said, okay, I need to do this. Or certainly there would be a time when he was released from prison that he would see how God is favored. I need to forgive my brothers. But we're still wondering if he did, if he's taken it back because of the way he treats his brothers on these first two visits. It's confusing. It doesn't make sense if he's forgiven them. I mean, on their first trip, they get grain. He hides his identity. He speaks harshly to them. He excuses them of being spies. He put the whole lot of them in prison for three days. And then he kept one back, one brother back, Simeon. And he sent the rest back to Canaan. And then they returned a second time because they needed more food. And Joseph, he doesn't just give them food. He says, come on over to my house. I got this great feast I want to give you. But he doesn't reveal who he is. They don't know. They just said, hey, I'm sitting in the ruler of Egypt's house having dinner. Wow. But then he pulls the big switcheroo, you know, putting all the money back in the food sacks and, and then putting all his own personal silver cup in Benjamin's back sack. Of course, the brothers didn't know about this. They were just glad to get out of Dodge with the food that they were hoping to find. And they were just desperately needed this food. But then Joseph, he sends this group of men, I sense a posse, if you will, after them to collect his silver mug. Well, of course, the brothers denied stealing this, but there it was in Benjamin's sack. (laughs) The posse (laughs) took these terrified brothers back to face their doom, to face the terrible doom of the ruler of Egypt. And then when they come before Joseph a third time, he accuses them of of stealing and being ungrateful. And at the end of chapter 44, just before we get into our passage today, there's this Tension that has kind of been built up in this story and it builds to this emotional kind of breaking point. There's this heart-rending conversation between Joseph as he accuses Benjamin of stealing a cup and Judah. Because you got to remember, Judah was the one who said, Benjamin's got to come and his father Jacob didn't want him to come. But he, Judah promised him, promised his father that he would take care of them. And he wouldn't get hurt. He'd protect Ben at all costs. So Judah, in this last part of verse, of chapter 44, he passionately pleads for his younger brother's life to the point where he offers himself to be a slave instead of Ben. But I still read this story with all of its emotion, with Joseph listening to his brother offer himself as, so Ben could be saved. And I go, why aren't you telling them who you are? Tell them, tell them, tell them. They'll you need to tell them who you are. What's he waiting for? How long is this pretense going to go on? I mean, is he going to tell him I've forgiven you and all is good? Is he going to say, got you now. I'm going to throw you into prison. I'm going to hurt you the way you hurt me. I don't really know what he was waiting for. Was he waiting for his brothers to express their guilt? Not really. Because you see on the first trip, if you go all the way back to Genesis 42, they knew. The brothers said, surely we are being punished because of our brother. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. Now, he wasn't waiting for the dream. You remember the dream to be fulfilled where he was gonna, they were going to bow down to Joseph and they, the brothers didn't like that idea of bowing down to him? Well, that already happened on the first trip and on the second trip, so it wasn't about that. And I don't think he was waiting to see what was in their hearts. I mean, if you read the different conversations, it's clear that they're deeply concerned for the grief their actions have brought upon their father, Jacob. I mean, he's lived with this for years we know that at least Judah and Reuben are seriously concerned about Benjamin's safely and they believe God was punishing them for all that they had done against Joseph. So what's he waiting for? Come on, Joseph, reveal who you are. Well, my thought is, could he be wrestling with God? Could he just not know? He's trying to come to terms, maybe, with all of the pain and all the suffering and all the wounds from the past? I mean, forgiveness that maybe he once offered in the absence of the offenders is now staring at him, and they're face to face, and what is Joseph gonna do? And this is where we connect with our story. Because this question of what Joseph is grappling with God about is a question we need to grapple with God about as well. Here's the thing I want us to think about today, how to answer this question. How do we trust God when we experience pain and suffering? from others. How do we trust God when we experience pain and suffering from others? Listen, my guess is almost, if not everyone in this room has at one time or another struggled with this question. We have been hurt by someone else at some point in our life. And when that hurt and pain comes, we have two choices. We can hold on to it And allow bitterness to grow in our hearts. We can stay angry at what happened. We can blame those who hurt us. We can even blame God. Or we might even blame both. Or we can choose to trust God. And forgive those who have hurt us. And receive healing in our hearts. What is Joseph going to do? Let's find out. Genesis chapter 45. I want to read the entire story. It's only 15 verses. But it will give us the whole picture that I want to talk about after we're done reading. Verse 1, Genesis 45, verse 1, it says this. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence? So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I I am Joseph. He reveals himself. I am Joseph. Is my father, not your father, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have and I will provide for you there. Because five years of famine are still to come. And otherwise... You and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Verse 14, then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. So let me dig into this a little bit to answer the question, how do we trust God when we experience pain and suffering from others? Because in this passage, I want to suggest three things we need to believe about God in the midst of pain and suffering we receive from other people. So I'm going to give you what what the three are one at a time, and then we'll dig into it a little bit. Here's the first one. We must believe that God wants to restore broken relationships. It's not an exaggeration to say that relationships are the most important thing in life. The two greatest commandments in the Bible have to do with right relationships. First with God and then with other people. And whenever there is a broken relationship, you know it's not pleasing to God. God is in the business of putting relationships back together. And perhaps there's nothing more moving witnessing a fractured relationship being reconciled nothing more moving and today we are allowed to look into the restoring of a relationship between joseph and his brothers because joseph is very clearly emotional up to this point he hasn't told his brothers who he really is but now 22 years later all this bottled up emotion are about to come pouring out he's so emotional He knows he can't hold it together. So get out of here, say everyone, but my brothers, he says. Maybe he said it nicer than that, I'm not sure. And he just breaks down. Years of pain brought on by his brothers. Times of wondering if God really cared about him. All of this finally comes to the surface and it comes pouring out of him and he weeps. I mean, he's just not shedding a tear. He is sobbing uncontrollably. And it takes a few minutes for him to get his emotions together. He finally reveals to his brothers, I am Joseph. There's the moment. I am Joseph. I mean, he's been holding on to this broken relationship for so long, and now this this is the beginning. This is the beginning of breaking down those relational barriers. And here's the thing. God wants to break down barriers between people between people you and I know that we have barriers with, but we have to cooperate with them. We have to learn to let go and trust God. And I just have to ask you this question as I'll ask several throughout this morning. What relational barrier are you holding on to that's holding you back? What relational barrier are you holding on to that's holding you back? What is slowing you down because you won't put it down? And what broken relationship do you need to trust God? Yeah, God wants to break down barriers between people. So first he tells them who he is, and then he has a concern for their reaction. I mean, he knows what's about to come, and he tries to set his brothers at ease. Look what he says. Come close to me. Next slide. Come close to me. There you go. Come close Come close to that slide. (laughs) Come close to me. Do you want to break down a barrier? You do it by becoming vulnerable and humble and by allowing people to come close to you. That takes trust in God, doesn't it? By inviting people to enter into your life. See, when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Can you just picture this scene with me for a moment? I mean, Joseph, the powerful ruler of Egypt, standing there in that room, he's just been sobbing. He's trying to get a hold of his emotions. He says, I am Joseph. He says, come close to me. And he leans forward, maybe like a whisper, and he says, I'm your brother. Yeah, the one you sold into Egypt. But come close to me. Now imagine their reaction. I don't want to come close to you. You're the powerful man on Egypt and I haven't heard anything quite yet that says I'm going to have anything but hurt on me right now. So he doesn't stop there. Joseph doesn't stop there. He anticipates their reaction. He tells them not to be distressed and not to be angry with themselves for selling him. He tells them that God, God, sent him ahead. Why? To save lives. Think about what Joseph could have said. I'm Joseph, your brother. Remember me? I'm the one who sold you into slavery. (laughs) And now you know what, brothers? You are up a creek. (laughs) Now you're going to get yours. I mean, you know, I've been waiting for this day for 22 years. Revenge is sweet after all. And what goes around comes around. And now I'm going to sell you into slavery. That's what Joseph could have said. (laughs) But let me ask you, when you experience the pain and suffering brought on by others, what have you said, either out loud or quietly in your mind? <laughs> I mean, what have you thought about doing to those who have hurt you? What have you thought about saying to those who have caused you pain? See, why did Joseph, why did Joseph not choose, uh, choose not to do that? Not because he had to. Their lives were in his hands. He had the absolute power over them. He could have done anything he wanted to. Why did he choose to forgive them? Not because they deserved it. No, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Look at, their, look at their response. His brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I mean, they were too afraid to say anything, to even try and apologize. I mean, if you're standing here in front of Joseph, how do you apologize for selling your brother into slavery? Oops. I'm sorry. I mean, that doesn't cut it. How could you ever make up for doing something so wrong? I mean, Joseph didn't choose to forgive his brothers because they deserved it. No, he chose to forgive them because of his trust in God. (laughs) Joseph knew the Lord. And he was close enough to God to see God's hand at work. (laughs) Close enough to see that God had a plan for his life. You see, we have to believe that God is in control and can take things that others do to us that is painful and breaks up relationships and heal and restore those painful things. we got to believe God's in control of that. But in order for that to happen, somebody has to think, has to speak up, has to act with the mercy and the forgiveness of God. I mean, if we want real reconciliation and healing in our broken relationships, we gotta confess our own sins to one another. We must forgive those who have sinned against us. And none of that is possible unless we really believe that God is in control. See, the only way we can truly forgive someone is when we believe God is in control. My story. So, uh, after being a pastor here for 38 years, I have more than a few stories of learning how to trust and forgive others. Early on, I used to hold on to those feelings of hurt and betrayal. I carried that pain. I carried that anger. It's not pretty. I thought about the things I would do to people that were clearly sin. Slander them, for example, or other horrible things. I wasn't reflecting the heart of God. More often than not, I had that usual response. You know, that first response that probably we all have, we get angry. I mean, that's our usual first response. And then I would hold on to that anger for too long. But eventually, over time, I'd kind of cool down a little bit. You know, I mean, it takes some time to work through some of these things. And in those moments where I was calmer and cooler, I could hear God speaking to my own heart and saying, Gary, why are you doing this stuff? Are you going to let this turn into bitterness? Why don't you trust me? Why don't you believe that I care? Why don't you believe that I can work these things out for good? If you love me. If you trust me. And then for all of us in these kinds of times, there is that moment. There is that moment where I have to make a decision. Am I going to hold on to it? Am I going to forgive? Am I going to hold on to it? Am I going to forgive? I have to make that moment. Am I going to trust God? I'm not going to trust God. Was I going to trust that God could protect my reputation? Was I going to allow these painful experiences from people to help me grow spiritually and to help me become more like Jesus? Was I going to allow the very thing that was meant to destroy me to be the very thing that God could use to deliver me? Was I? You see, the very thing that was meant to destroy Joseph was the very thing that God used to deliver him and then to restore the broken relationships with his brothers. The thing that was meant to destroy you is the thing that God will use to bring deliverance to your life. So how do we trust God when we experience pain and suffering from others? We believe that God wants to restore relationships and we trust him in the process. Here's the second thing. I see in this passage, believe that God wants to bring saving out of suffering. Believe that God wants to bring saving out of suffering. Have you ever crossed your mind that God has a chip on his shoulder? (laughs) Ah, maybe some of you have. I know some of you are thinking, Gary, why would you even say that? God is God. He doesn't get chips on his shoulder. Well, when it comes to people who sin... Doesn't it make it a little easier for us as Christians who know what the future holds to forgive them when we know that eventually God's gonna stick it to them? I mean, he is a God of justice, right? Does it make it easier? In other words, I don't have to get even because God is gonna take care of those turkeys because they caused me so much pain. Have you ever thought that? See, that's not the motivation that lies behind forgiveness. We forgive because we have been forgiven. We forgive much, because we have been forgiven much. And one of the most noticeable characteristics of Joseph throughout all of these chapters, which is why it's so important to understand the total big picture, is the centrality of God in his life. This is such an important concept for us to grasp in our lives, because so often Christians, for Christians, God is just a part of their life. They put him in a certain compartment here or a certain compartment here. He's not the center of our life. He's a spoke in the wheel of life, but he's not the hub, if you will. But for Joseph, everything's centered on God. I mean, when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, he immediately thought of God. Check it out, Genesis 39. When Joseph was in the dungeon interpreting dreams, he said the interpretation belongs to God. He didn't take credit for it. God was the central part. When he was in front of Pharaoh, he said it wasn't him, but God will give the answer, the central part of his life. Joseph has a completely different perspective on the events that shaped his life. We know and understand that because even though his brothers caused him this incredible suffering. But Joseph chose to focus on how God worked behind the scenes to bring saving out of suffering. I mean, four times in this passage, we read that God brought me here, not you. Look at verse five. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Verse seven, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. Again in verse seven, God sent me to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse eight, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He's not going to play the blame game. He's not going to replay the memory tape of betrayal and suffering. He's not going to hold court and pronounce them guilty and worthy of punishment. Instead, he found this new perspective. One based on trusting God, believing that God is in control, believing that God offers grace and the recognition God's been part of this whole thing at the whole time for the purpose of saving, saving his family. God's been working all along the way. Now, certainly in this process, there have been times when it's been difficult to see God's fingerprints on anything. There have been moments when I'm sure as though Joseph was, I'm on my own. God's nowhere to be found. I'm sure he felt abandoned at times. But Joseph somehow hung on to the belief that God has been with him throughout the ebb and flow, the highs and lows, the good times and the bad. How do I know that? He said, God sent me here, not you. That's a powerful statement. God sent me here, not you. Now, let's be absolutely clear about this because it could sound like God orchestrated every ugly experience that Joseph endured. See, Joseph, God did not will that Joseph's brothers betray him. God didn't will that Joseph would be sold into slavery. God didn't tell Potiphar's wife to lie about Joseph or that Joseph would suffer in prison all those years. Those things are a result of sinful human choices. And Joseph suffered as a result of each, but God worked through those situations and circumstances to bring good out of them to bring saving out of suffering. See, God is able to transform the results of sinful choices to bring good out of suffering. God's worked in each chapter of Joseph's life, despite hatred and betrayal and false accusations and great suffering, despite it all, God continued to work and rescue him and to bring him along to this ultimate goal that was going to work itself out of saving, bringing saving of his family out of suffering. Wow. Now, there may be some things in your life right now that you might classify as terrible, (coughs) terrible. They may even classify them as some form of suffering. I mean, maybe you've experienced some recent emotional pain of betrayal or or maybe some physical abuse or maybe some verbal abuse or maybe some other type of relational pain. You have suffered in the reality of this and you wonder, why God, just like Joseph? Why God? You ask God, do you really care about me? Why are you doing this to me? But if we look at this story here, we see that even though God did not cause this evil to land on Joseph, he uses it in a way to bring salvation to people. God can turn suffering into saving. My story. One particular difficult time back in the late 80s, a painful experience uh, was really the peak for me. I had with other people that caused me to question even whether I should remain in this position, remain a pastor of some calling. Began to think about quitting the ministry. At one point, I even put my resume out. I didn't need this kind of headache. (laughs) I didn't need this kind of treatment by others. Well, what's going on here? I questioned this and, and experienced times even of mild depression for nearly a year as I had my own wrestling time with God. But during that time, I just kept coming back to how my Savior Jesus had been treated. God put that thought, I'm sure, in my head, and how He endured for me, and how He forgave me, and how He loves these people way more than I did. And as we approach Easter, I I love to come to a a passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus wrestles with God in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's, It's probably my most favorite passage. I mean, he pleaded with God to take away this pain, to take away this suffering, to take away this calling on his life. But then you know what he did. Not my will, but your will. Well, over that year, God did a spiritual work in my own life, a work that's still unfolding today. It took a year because I'm kind of slow to learn. I don't know about you. You know, a work where today I don't question my calling before the Lord anymore to be a pastor? Solid it 's secure, a work where it becomes a little easier to trust God with my reputation. What others may say is between me and the Lord. I know He 'll care for me and cover me. a work where I respond faster, not the fastest, but faster to love people who bring hurt and pain in my life. Now I don 't do this perfect day. I haven't finished the work. I'm sure the work won 't be done until Jesus comes back. But those painful times when I go to God I can see this growing desire and this growing ability and his his ability to be trusted in some of the most difficult things that I've gone through. Because you see, God will use those painful things in your life to show you his power. (laughs) To show you that his love is not only for you, but for those who hurt you. To show you that there are broken people everywhere. And here's the kicker. To show you that you're one of them. I can say that God has brought saving out of my suffering, at least momentarily, as I continue to want to walk with him day by day and trust him. See, we can trust God with painful experiences when we're willing to accept that God is going to bring saving out of suffering like he did for Joseph. Here's the third item. Believe that God wants to make you part of his mission. What? Where'd you get that, Jesus? I mean, where'd you get that, Gary? Pardon me, I'm not Jesus. See, God can work at any time alone, right? But he's chosen to get his followers in on the mission he has for this world. God has done some amazing work in Joseph's heart, and now he works through the forgiveness that Joseph offers. God opens the door for his brothers to step through and accept this gift that has been prepared by God for them too. Because Joseph is a man of power, his mission is to rescue his family from famine. But not only that, he provides, think about this, a total new way of life in a total new land to live in, a reconnecting of the family, not just the ten brothers, but the entire family, a solid and complete provision during times of famine, and a restoration of a family broken relationship. I mean, Joseph is very emotional throughout this entire passage. In the first two verses, we see that he couldn't hold it in any longer, he just burst out with weeping. And now again in these last two verses, in 14 and 15, he's so caught up with this emotion that he throws his arms around his younger brother, Ben, and they embrace. And Joseph once again is feeling the effects of being not only physically reunited with his family, but finally after so many years of being restored and reconciled with them. And last we see that after all this unfolded, he and his brothers talked. I wonder what that conversation was like. Catching up on 22 years of life apart. Painful life apart with all that's happened. I can just imagine all 12 of them sitting in the room, you know, and they're laughing together, they're crying together, and they get honest, they get vulnerable with each other because Joseph has led the way, he's made it safe for them to do that. They express their personal feelings about all that has happened. The the knitting gets closer and closer. The the ability to be together is even more real. Real. They, they tell each other their deepest, maybe their innermost thoughts through all of this. They confess their sin, maybe to one another. They hug each other. They look forward to the future together and not living in famine, but in plenty. Thank you, Joseph, This brother should say. And I know that Joseph lived more than a thousand years ago. Pardon me, a thousand years before Jesus stepped onto this planet. But all that takes place between Joseph and his brothers sounds strangely similar to the mission that God has called us to as Christians. Paul wrote about this. It's on the screen. (laughs) God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to us The message, and has committed to us. Pardon me, I messed that up. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore, what? Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. This ministry of reconciliation is not only just among us humans that know each other, that have brokenness, but it's among people who are lost, that they would be reconciled to God. It's a huge mission that he wants us to be a part of. So we have to believe if we're going to be involved in in reconciling broken relationships, that God wants us to be part of that mission, a mission of reconciliation. You're not going to argue with me that there's so much brokenness in our world when it comes to relationships, I know. We hurt each other. Around the world, we hurt each other verbally, physically, mentally, emotionally. We hurt each other. Sin damages our hearts and and lives, and sin litters this landscape of our relationships. But God, he wants it restored. He wants it healed. He wants it reconciled. And not just the brokenness in our own hearts, but also the brokenness that exists between us and those who have sinned against us. He wants to transform the tragedies of our lives and to heal and restore and mend the brokenness that rips us apart, that tears us apart as people. So here's the deal. Joseph isn't just some guy who lived a really long time ago in a place that we can only visit on the history channel. Joseph is you. (laughs) Yeah, Joseph is you. Joseph is me. And God has brought us to this moment in Genesis for a purpose. He doesn't want us to go on living with the old echoes of pain and suffering from broken bonds, the people that are in our lives. He wants to bring healing through the grace of forgiveness. The grace of forgiveness of forgiveness now frankly I don't know what people or what circumstances or what wounds God has bringing to your mind as I've been talking about all this this morning it may be that the person you're thinking about is a long way away you're in Egypt and they're in Canaan maybe they've resurfaced in your life in some way and now you're staring at them in the face And just like Joseph you've got to make a decision It may be that person God is bringing to your mind is someone in this room, a friend, a former friend, a family member, and and you see them all the time, and it seems like every time you see them, they're this salt that's rubbed in that wound, and it hurts even more. You didn't look for that, but there are times when all that junk comes back, boiling back to the surface. This is God's way of moving us step by step of giving a new opportunity for us to let go of all the wrongs and all the pain and all the thoughts of withholding mercy. See, when we trust God, that he is in control, we are empowered to forgive others. Think about that. We are empowered. We are spiritually empowered when we trust God and we cooperate with him. What broken relationship of yours does God want to heal? Don't all tell me names right now. Just keep it to yourself. See, God, God didn't want you to suffer because of their sinful choices. Neither does he want us to suffer by holding on to unforgiveness. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote. He's a great author. He says this, quote, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Really? Yes, he says, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. (laughs) Let me read that again. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. See, forgiveness doesn't change the past. It didn't change the fact that Joseph had been sold into slavery. It sure changes the future, though. To forgive is not saying what they did was okay but it's the only way to move beyond what happened and for our hearts to be freed, freed to experience the peace and healing and relationships that feel so good when we know it's there and that God has for us. So some of you may not know this, but um, I was worship pastor here for a number of years before in this role. And when I was worship pastor, I would show my team members, the people that were joining me with me, the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you know that covers three chapters, so it's a lot of words, but I picked this one verse in chapter five. I just want you to hear the words of Jesus on this subject. If you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you are coming to church to worship, and you there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. In other words, go leave the worship service. First, go be reconciled, then come and offer your gift. Does that give you a clue to the priority that God places on our relationships with one another? Rather than worshiping Him, He's saying, Come, before you come to me with a broken relationship, go do all that you can. Do all that you can. Be humble, be gracious be forgiving, be merciful, be honest, be real, confess your sins, do all that you can to be at peace with that person so that you can come to worship me, God would say, with a clean heart, with a heart that says there's nothing relationally that's in the way between you and me. So what broken relationship does God want to heal in your life? Would you just bow your heads and pray with me? With your heads bowed, I just before I pray, I'd just like you to respond for a moment to all that God is speaking to you about right now. If there is someone that you, as I've been talking, know you need to be reconciled with and forgive, and you're saying in your heart, you know, I want to be like Joseph. I want to trust you, God, and take the next step. Would you just raise your hand? Don't look up, but just raise your hand real quickly. Let me see it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just raise your hand because I'm going to pray for you as I end our service today. Thank you. You can put them down. Father, there are those in this room that you have touched through this message today that were willing to even raise their hand for a moment and say, I want to trust you, God. I want to take the next step. So God, I want to pray in a specific way that with each of these lies, each of these hands that have been raised, that you would give specific, clear guidance about what that next step is. That your Holy Spirit would enable them, give them the strength, the courage, the willpower to be able to follow your will and, and work towards reconciling this relationship. And I pray, God, that as they go, they would go in the strength and the power of who you are, Jesus. Because they're about your work. They're about something that is so important to you that you lay it out as the number one priority. God, thank you for the life of Joseph. I'm excited to hear about what happens next week as we finalize his life. Continue to work in this church in uniting us one relationship at a time with each other so that we might model what's really important to you to a lost and dying world where we have a place of peace, we have a place of healing, we have a place of honesty in our relationships with one another, even though we bump up against each other, that you would help us to heal. And for those who have family outside of here or people outside of here, God, I pray that just their fact that they're willing to take a next step, that you, God, would honor that and give them your grace and your strength and your words to say and your heart of love and compassion. Thank you for this morning. in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.